Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Greetings. Welcome to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. I am your host for today, Callie Picardo. And today I have with me a very exciting guest. I've got Dr. Walter Strickland, who is a professor of theology. He's an author. He came to Mosaic Church, our home church, and helped lead us in a multi-ethnic conference. He has just been an incredible gift, and we love getting to know him. And so excited to have you today on the Better Together podcast, Walter. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's, it's good to be with you. Well, today, friends, we are talking about a really important topic, and I think one that we all want to do well, but sometimes it's easier said than done. We're talking today about how to communicate love, how to have that be the end result when we communicate. Um, but Walter, I mean, why is it so hard to actually do? <laughs> you know, I, I think we all want to be loved and want to love, but we don't really know how that looks in its smaller pieces. And so um, today, I, I think it's just good for us to take at least <clears throat> a little bit of that or one of the views of that prism of demonstrating love and communicating love and, uh, and just sort of discussing it a little bit. So uh, I, I've been really helped by something called uh, that's been called a communications triangle. And um, yeah, and I think going through that a little bit would just be really helpful for us. So you just want us to jump on in? Yeah. Will you describe this triangle? I mean, people aren't going to be able to see it, but can you help us visualize this? Certainly, certainly. So it's a triangle, but it's sort of layers working up and not sort of like three points on a a triangle. And so the bottom layer is, uh, if you can visualize it, it's rituals and cliche. So if you're walking by somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? Great. How are you? not really wanting to know how they're doing or just, you know, just kind of a transactional thing. Nice weather we're having today. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, And so just sort of a, you're acknowledging that somebody is there and that they exist. The next tier up on the triangle is facts and information. So you're sharing information, but you're not really going into much detail about what you think about it. So it's more of like, Hey, what's the weather today? It's 65 degrees and it's a 50% chance of rain. Um, And then, Oh, so tell me who won the election, you know, back then. Okay, it was this person. Okay. Uh, but the next level up is ideas and judgments. And that's sort of taking uh, the facts and information and then giving your uh, your ideas about it. And so basically what's happening as you work your way up the communications triangle, you sort of increase in your emotional risk in the conversation. And then the next level up beyond ideas and judgments is feelings and emotions. So you're not just talking about some analytical sort of uh, thoughts about the information and the facts. You're talking about how it makes you feel as a person. And then when you can share all those things and feel like you're in safety, uh, it, it, it basically results in sort of peak trust, rapport, and love. Uh, and, and that's the way if, if someone can communicate all those to you, they really 
uh, feel loved and cared for. And so I'm, I'm excited to just sort of talk about all that and figure out how that even impacts our, our day-to-day lives and our day, our, in our relationships, relationships that we prize. It's so helpful to think about because I start to think about some of the conversations I have. And I think I've had some conversations, even with my own spouse, who's amazing, where we've been at different levels of the triangle before. I, Walter, I don't know if you all have ever had that in your in your marriage or in your dynamics with siblings or family. Yeah, you know, certainly, certainly. It's it's and it's interesting that you point that out because um, two people can feel uh, can be different places on that triangle on the same kind of thing. Uh, something similar can happen, and you could be talking to someone who you love and you trust, like your spouse, and um, you're just at different places on the triangle, and it can really cause tension if you're interacting as if your spouse or your friend or your sibling is on the same level as you are. So um, like one example, uh, like say uh, my wife comes in from, from hanging out with some friends and she's, you know, I can tell that she's emotionally heavy by some, about something, maybe red eyes or te- actual tears or something like that. Uh, she walks in the door and she says, you know, so so-and-so said this and I, and I just, and so she's definitely at the, the feelings and emotions tear in the triangle. And then um, I respond to her saying, you know what? They didn't mean that facts and information. They, they probably meant this. So what's she going to do? She's not going to continue to be open and vulnerable with me. So uh, what she's going to do is shut down and feel like I'm not loving her well because I'm not meeting her in her area of like feelings and emotion. Um, and really what, what that means in that moment is just embracing her and saying, oh, my goodness, how are you? Tell me what's happened. You know, and you're just listening and loving that person, sort of meeting them where they are. and then. After that, you know, is the, the sting has sort of worn off a little bit, then you can talk about, okay, so let's, let's think about what really happened here. You know, it, it might be a day later, depending on how, how fast somebody processes things, <laughs> or it might be, you know, maybe three or four hours later. But the reality is if, if my wife comes in and, and um, or even if I come in the house, you know, a little bit shaken by something, the way that, that she can show me love is to just meet me where I am and just love me and console me, uh, without having to jump in all the details, because when that happens, it's almost like you're sort of uh, seeing if that person's emotions are justified and they feel like they're being put on trial for having emotions. And that's not, we want, that's not how we communicate love to people. We communicate love to people by, by meeting them where they are and then just caring for them in that way. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, love is an emotion in and of itself. So the more you get to those heart level in the conversation, the greater the communication of love. And, you know, what what person hasn't had an experience where they're like, I don't want you to fix me. I just, I just want you to listen. Like, I just, don't, don't try to make me better. I just, I just, I need, I need you to hear me. I need you to hear what's going on. I need you to take my side. Exactly. So I don't, I don't know how many times I heard Walter, stop trying to fix it in, in, my, in my own marriage. <laughs> I just, I, I need you to hear me, not fix it. And I think we have a lot more of those real conversations where we we get that feedback if we are clearly not um, responding the way perhaps a spouse or significant other wants to. But, you know, in the workplace, um, you know, as we're interacting with friends, it might be that um, we respond in a way that is not loving. And depending on the level of depth in the relationship, 
it might be addressed. It might say, Hey, I just need you to hear me. I don't, I don't need you to fix me. Or it might just be like a shutdown response. I mean, it's almost a little harder as we go out a layer in closeness. I mean, perhaps even down a layer where someone is vulnerable, maybe even in, you know, a Bible study or small group. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, this wasn't safe. I can't share there again. I mean, how do do you read that? Um, And how do you repair that? Yeah, yeah. So I think reading it is the the important part, as you just said, you know, if, if you're in a Bible study um, and you're talking about a passage of scripture, um, and somebody is not just trying to find, you know, God's intended meaning for the scripture. You know, it's it's like because because there's a time and place for that. Hey, let's let's try to figure out what God is trying to communicate to us. And that's when you get out doing like word studies and you do cross references and you do all that kind of stuff. But then also in a small group, there's the time where somebody is is reading the scripture. And they're really like wrestling with something in their life. And so it goes beyond just hearing what God has said. Now we're trying to get to from what God has said should be to what our lives are. And oftentimes those things are not the same. And so when someone goes from, hey, facts and information, we're just trying to figure out what the facts of the the biblical text are, um, to like, this is what I feel about what's being said. you know, because it, it makes it has these implications on my life and there's these hard things I've been facing that um that cause a great deal of emotion and probably produce some trauma if if, if that's the case. So uh if somebody really begins to um you know starts with their interpretation of the scriptures, but then really transitions into their feelings and emotion, sometimes I've seen it to where someone's like, Well, actually, you know, in the Greek, it really means this and this. And so your feelings, therefore, don't they shouldn't follow. It's just like Dude, like that's don't <laughs> let's not be so um uh just blind where we're not seeing the person who has gone from talking about the cross reference to now talking about a very significant and vulnerable thing in their life that they're sharing with you because they they sense rapport with you, but when they do that, they're subjecting themselves to like relational and emotional risk. And then when you sort of cut them off like that it really makes them want to shut down and protect themselves. And so this, this is, this is one of those, those times where this triangle uh, as you're doing Bible study. Uh, and I think that's a great, a great relational context for us to, to sort of test the triangle out uh, because somebody can transition from the facts and information to that, the feelings and emotions uh, very, very quickly. And I've seen them say, okay, fine. We're, we're saying facts and information. I'll step back down the triangle. I won't be vulnerable again. I won't share. I'll just, we'll stick to t- talking about the scripture or I just won't share at all. But I mean, how do you, then the challenge is how do you start to rebuild that trust? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. I mean, even, even uh, as a parent, you know, we, we want our kids to trust us. We want them to share things with us. We want them to be honest with us so we can help them. So, uh, you know, how do we communicate love to them? You know, and even, even as, you know, I, I have um, four children, one with the Lord, two in the house that are girls and one boy. And so the girls are the older ones in the house. And so they, uh, they're, they're, um, they're awesome. Uh, but they're, but they're very, very concerned about things that I'm not very concerned about, like what their friend said or what, who had what shoes on and things like that. I mean, they can, they can, those things can hit them differently than they hit me. Uh, on the on the feelings and emotions level, but for me, I'm like facts. Uh, Adidas and, and Nike are both good shoes, 
but they shouldn't impact your emotions in that way because you have one and not the other. So, um, so I, I've had to learn about the community, <laughs> like upon the communication triangle to the cares of a seven and nine-year-old, my five-year-old is just oblivious. He doesn't care about anything, but um, to the seven and nine-year-old there, there's things that, that, um, that are really emotionally heavy for them that I just can't dismiss uh, because they're not, and, and from my perspective, a real thing to lament. And so, uh, and I haven't been perfect at that every time, but I, I think one thing that I have done to even rebuild that rapport with them is to continue to ask them about how things are going and then specifically asking about their feelings. You know, so, hey, um, uh, so-and-so, so you have a test tomorrow? Yeah, I do. You know, it's, it's on this subject matter, facts and information. Well, how do you feel about that? And then it gives them license to say, I'm actually really nervous about that dad. And, and and so so then our relationship is given the opportunity to go beyond that. And because I'm initiating that a, a higher level on the communication triangle, I'm inviting them to come there. They feel more safe entering there than uh, me just assuming that they're all, all of a sudden going to go there, especially if I've, you know, sort of messed that up before. <laughs> I've seen it with the kids where um, they've been talking at and they've been talking at the kind of facts level. And it's like okay, what you're saying is not making sense. I think you're really nervous or I think you're like, you know, and so sometimes even ask that question, hey, you seem a little sad. Are you okay? Like kind of, even if you notice some of those other cues that are maybe nonverbal and help and peel back. Or the other thing I've seen too that can help is sometimes I have to take that step and be vulnerable. Sometimes, and if I made a mistake saying, I'm sorry, you know, even just, you know, and it's different with different levels of uh, relationship, but, you know, with kids saying, Hey, I'm sorry, mommy made a mistake. Like I'm really have been stressed lately at work and I did not mean to react the way I did to you. Or I can tell this was really important to you. And I'm so sorry. I should honor that more. Or like in a small group setting, sometimes that vulnerable place of saying, of then taking the risk to step up and share at an emotional level can create, re kind of recreate, rebuild that trust mm-hmm. a little bit, but it takes time. Yeah, you know, and, and and one thing that's helpful in building re, and rebuilding trust is that there there there's a the rituals and cliches the bottom going up to facts and information then going up to ideas and judgments and so especially in the workplace or with a child you know um, not just asking them for information but asking them for what they think about it hey you know uh, nine year old what do you think about this because and then it's just oh you actually value what I think. Um, and it's not quite the emotional sort of feelings and emotions yet, but it, it's a good mid step, um, especially if, if you have a if you have a, like a younger, you know, less um, experienced colleague that you want to invite into a conversation uh, or even invite into like a relationship, like a, like a peer or not a peer, but a mentoring relationship saying, hey, you know, um, you know, I'm going to in your mind, you can say I'm going to um, establish or regain this uh, relationship uh, and that trust rapport by inviting them up this chart a little bit. So uh, that, that's definitely one way to do it. And I, I've seen that be very helpful. You mentioned earlier timing of some of the conversations as well. And I think that's maybe a key to like thinking through, okay, what is the time and place to respond or how do you respond? You know, sometimes when things are raw, you just listen. But then at other points, where is the time to kind of speak caringly, like just, you know, take it a, take it a step further um, and 
also with that timing, you know, sometimes it's a, you dress it in the moment, but sometimes it's, we're in a group setting. Now is not the time to ask how you're feeling. Like you don't want to melt down in tears uh, at the coffee pot at work. Like, so to ask an emotional question might be a more of a one-on-one type setting. Certainly, certainly. I mean, any other I, thoughts on the timing there? Like, how do you how do you kind of figure out what is the timing for communications and to go into those settings? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good question. I mean, there's there's um you know again, I think you're right saying you know on the one hand going and you know asking for feelings and emotions in a in a crowded sort of busy place is probably not the right uh, space to do it in. And then um, and also. You know, if, if you're talking about facts and information <clears throat> and you certainly see it's draw, like conjuring up sort of emotions and you're not in a great place, uh, it's okay to, to to circle back to that. To, I mean, to even say, hey, I, I see that it's drawing up some feelings like like let's let's continue that conversation a little bit later where we can sort of dive into those. Uh, I think people will feel seen in that. They'll, they'll feel like, okay, like this person's going to come back. And, and if you say that, you got to come back to it, you know. Um, you know, even if it's like an hour or two later, hey, so we talked about that, you know, I saw all kinds of uh, emotions start welling up. So like, what's going on? Or, um, or, you know, especially if you have like a, uh, like a very intimate relationship, like a really, really good friend that you see often, or a spouse that you see often, uh, if that spouse comes in with like feelings and emotions, you know, like comes in the house, feelings and emotions, just sort of flying everywhere. Um, but you really feel like it's important eventually to talk about like the, the details of what happened. Um, you know, I think many of us make the mistake of thinking, okay, we're going to talk about this once. And so we need to go from uh, feelings and emotions to judgments, ideas and judgments, and then on down to facts and information, like sort of de-escalating super fast. Well, I don't think we have to de-escalate it that fast. I think the, the best de-escalation tactic is to be just to be with somebody to be incarnational like Jesus was to, to physically bodily be with the people you're trying to reach, which is exactly what John 114 was saying. He, 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 he tabernacled with us. Like the tabernacle was with God's people in the old Testament throughout the, the wilderness. And so just being there with them, uh, that incarnational step is important. And then you can, you know, say, okay, maybe mental, mental note, maybe tomorrow we can come back and like talk about all that's transpired here because a relationship is like a strong relationship is one where you are going to see each other sort of on a regular basis. And so you don't, you don't have to tackle everything in one moment. You can sort of let them uh, sort of de-escalate uh, less quickly and more naturally. And I love that point that you mentioned about how Jesus would like, he was incarnational. He just met them people where they were and dwelled with them. And there's an importance to just being you know, we're, we're so rushed in our culture. We sometimes feel like we got to take care of this now. Like I got to make sure I do this so I can check it off and move on to the next thing. Cause I'm busy and I don't have time for this, but relationships take time. And sometimes the best step is just slowing down and being with people and uh, setting that smartphone aside and putting the closing the laptop, like to actually have some real conversation. So I love that. Now, Walter, I know you've done a lot with cross-cultural conversations as well. Now, how does communicating love and build rapport tie in there? Yeah, you know, the, the place I've seen this come up the most is that, you know, as we know, in the last decade of our of our country, since the name Trayvon Martin became sort of nationally known, 
there's been lots of highly racialized uh, events in our country. And so as I've gone around to churches and schools and parachurch ministries and things like that, talking about how to build a community that loves and supports each other, um, this this conversation has been right in the center uh, about how to, when to, and how to engage these sort of differences, uh, these instances. <clears throat> Early on in our conversation, we you mentioned that, um, or I'm not sure who mentioned that you or me, but uh, you mentioned that things could uh, strike people, like events in, that happen in the culture can strike people in different ways. So if you have one person who's responding to a, a very nationally known thing on the level of fe- uh, feelings and emotions, you have another person who responds to that incident on, on the level of facts and information, just trying to gather the facts, gather the facts, uh, and let's see what actually happened here. But then you have those two people inhabit the same space. Um, what begins to happen <laughs> is you have one person in tears uh, with, with just you know that hat on, another person with their analytic sort of uh, detective hat on, and those two things don't mix well. And so what what has to happen is is that the the, the person who is highest on the, uh, the the communication triangle needs to be met by the person that's lower than them. So the person who comes in thinking about facts and information, if they meet the person who is in the level of feelings and emotion. Uh, on a very factual level, the person who's at the feelings and emotions level are, is going to feel loved and uh, unloved and even judged, or even, you know, as, I, as we mentioned, their the um, motivation for their emotions is being assessed as if it's, uh, you know, maybe maybe even being invalid. So, <clears throat> so I, I've seen this uh, in, in several instances where those two folks will come into the same room and then one person is just desperately wants to uh, emote in a hopefully in a healthy way, um, and then the other person is just sort of kind of peppering them about the facts and information, and it just ends up blowing up because uh, one person feels like the other person is being irrational, and another person feels like the other one's being insensitive or unloving. And so, uh, so really, I, I think that in these conversations, because. Uh, those who sort of identify with a person who was wronged or a person who uh, was hurt in a situation, especially if there's, it's like their kinsmen in the flesh, if I can say that, you know, they're, they're going to respond to that more viscerally and emotionally. And if others respond in a more analytic, detective sort of facts and information way, it's really not going to draw them together. It's going to push them apart. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, um, as we're thinking about this, just meet folks meet the person who's highest on the triangle where they are. And then eventually, because if you're coworkers, if you're church, fellow church members, uh, that's an ongoing relationship. Both of those are. And so you'll eventually be able to see them again. So just uh, mourn with those who mourn, lament with those who are, who are lamenting. Uh, and even if it's, you know, just a, even, you know, just, I'll, I'll even say it this way. If there's a lot of questions about what actually happened, there's a lot of, uh, you know, vague sort of um, information around. So it's unclear what actually happened, but the result is somebody still was killed or hurt. The fact is someone was killed or hurt. And so that's what we can lament together and and not have to get into all the facts that, you know, what's going on. And so even if you're on the facts and information side, Lament with that person because this is still the case. There's, there's especially there's unrest. You know, we 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 don't want to. We 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 want peace as Christians. The shalom that marked the earth is what we want. We, we look back at when God created. We look forward to it in the kingdom.
And so when that's not the reality now, that's also a lamentable thing when we're all up in arms. And so um, I know that was a long answer to a short question, but I think that's how we can begin to, to, to work through those dynamics in a group setting, especially in cross-racial, cross-cultural interactions. And you said a long answer to a short question. I feel like we could keep talking about that topic for a long time because we're we're still working through it. We're trying to figure out how do we do this well. And um, there are a lot of missteps along the way. So a lot of space for rebuilding trust. And, you know, I think where we kind of started the conversation of, you know, most of us can relate to having had a close friend, a significant other come in when we're emotionally charged and try to meet us with the opinions and ideas or lower than that, the facts. And it's like, that doesn't work. Well, it it, it translates when we're trying to have those cross-cultural conversations as well. When we're working with coworkers around a touchy subject, um, when we have events in the world or in the news that hit us all differently for different reasons. I think that's what it's just to go back to, okay, how, how would I want to be treated if this were me, if it was hitting me in the same way? Um, that listening, that loving starting there. So, yeah. So just a, a, another anecdotal thing, um, you know, a, a friend of mine, their their grandmother just passed at like 90 something years old, like maybe 97 years old. Um, you know, that this person was, was obviously emotional about it. Um, I could have said, Hey, fact, she was 90 something years old. Fact. She'd been sick for a long time. Fact. We know everyone's going to die. Fact. You know, I could have gone through all these things, uh, which are true, unfortunately, in, in this world that we live in right now. But the reality was I, I needed to give that person a hug because they were emotional. They, they, they knew it was coming. You know, like people don't live to, to their 120. <laughs> and so, but the, the reality was, is that, you know, this person needed a hug. Um, and that's And that's what I gave them. Sometimes it can be that simple. We try to have the right words and never complicate it, but sometimes it's as simple as a hug. Right. Um, Well, Walter, thank you. This has been a really good conversation and I'm sure has our listeners wrestling, thinking, maybe having some uh, practical applications of their own. Um, But if they want to learn more about you, Walter, get engaged in some way, what's, what's the best way for people to follow your work and see what you're up to? Sure. Um, there's walterstrickland.com. If there's a, some resources on there that I've been, you know, doing, I'll probably even tag this podcast on there so people uh, enjoy. It's just a very easy way to see the things I've been doing. Uh, but then also, I, there's this really, really fun project that I'm working on called Cultural Engagement. And what we're doing is trying to cultivate uh, unified teams with cross-cultural reach uh, in parachurch ministries, church churches, uh, Christian schools, you know, Christian universities. And so uh, if, if you are passionate about your environment being one where everyone's welcome and can reach broadly to other demographics, then there's a lot of resources on there for individual leaders, for clusters of leaders, and even for your whole organization to, to glean from. That's such a gift. And I know we were blessed by that at Mosaic with you coming to share with us. And so, Walter, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for joining us on the Better Together podcast today. And Friends, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, we encourage you to share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. And in the meantime, remember, we are better together. God bless.